Welcome to Paint Ed. PCA provides painting contractors with connections they need to grow their business. To find out more and to become a member, go to PCAPaintEd.org. Find more great content like this on PCA Overdrive. A subscription to the platform is included with membership. For all you non-members out there, sign up for our free trial. PCA Overdrive is available on the Apple Store and Google Play. In today's podcast, we feature an episode of Contractor Evolution from Breakthrough Academy. In this episode, Benji and Igor talk with Barrett Johnson, owner of Cadence Real Estate, which now owns over $380 million worth of real estate in the Seattle area. They talk about the two core systems Barrett implemented that really moved the needle in his business and how to run effective strategic planning when you run four companies. Hey everyone, welcome back to Contractor Evolution. So our guest on the show today is Barrett Johnston. Now, just 13 years ago, Barrett was working as a bags-on carpenter fresh out of school. And since then, he's not only built an extremely successful construction company, but he's also become a full-blown multifamily developer. His company, Cadence Real Estate, which is actually comprised of four subsidiaries, now owns over $380 million worth of real estate in the Seattle area and is also expanding beyond. Over the last decade or so, Cadence has gone from literally just Barrett and his business partner to a team of 45. His four companies, they work in unison to acquire multifamily properties to rehab them to equal or exceed these current market conditions. And then they either hold and rent the building or turn it around and sell it for a pretty tidy profit to another real estate investor. So it's an extremely interesting model that incorporates construction, it incorporates real estate investment and property property management to create what we think is the ultimate wealth building machine. And what is super cool, he's running this entire operation from Hawaii. Two key systems that have allowed him to achieve this scale, run it remotely from a tropical island, and also strike a healthy work-life balance are a rigorous strategic planning process that he does with the leaders of his four divisions, um, and then a very structured GSR, or goal setting and review meeting, which he also does with his key reports. And he's going to break down how he's implemented both of those systems on this episode. These systems were implemented through his work with Breakthrough Academy, which he'll also talk a bit about. If you run a construction or trades business and you want to systemize it for growth, you can check out Breakthrough Academy and schedule a business assessment with us using the link in the description of this episode. It's that easy. Um, but without further ado, let's dive into Barrett's inspiring journey and some of the lessons he's learned along the way. You're watching Contractor Evolution where we unpack the systems, tactics, and skills you need to take your fast-growing contracting business to the next level. You're here to learn what it takes to scale up, work less, and increase profitability. You've come to the right place. Stay tuned to learn what separates the new breed of contractor from the old school, and welcome to your ultimate guide on the business of contracting. Hey, Barrett, thanks for being here with us today, man. Thanks for having me. Awesome, Barrett. It's great to see you, man. Um, so I want to open with this. Uh, your story is 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 fascinating, is interesting, and and is full of um, 
and, and is full of so many different and exciting things that you've been through over the course of your career. But what's particularly interesting is that you started as a young guy out of college as a carpenter, like on the tools, and you've yeah. evolved uh, both like in yourself and in your business through a bunch of different iterations with Caden. So tell us, a, just as a backstory, tell us a bit about the journey um, and your start right from a carpenter coming out of college uh, tool belt on working right through to everything that you've, that you've created today. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds good. So I graduated college way back in 2005 and got a business degree and then decided to, uh, become an apprentice carpenter. And my dad asked me why I went to college in the first place, but, uh, I'd always loved the trades and loved swinging the hammer. So I did that for a couple of years and, um, then wanted to get into the project management field. So started doing a certificate in construction management program and got hired on with a commercial contractor to do, you know, new development, um, large scale commercial projects. Um, so did that also for a couple of years. And then 2008 rolled around and my uh, childhood friend and now my business partner was working as a commercial real estate broker. And it was the start of the, 08 recession and he was seeing all these opportunities to buy buildings and nobody was buying them. And so he asked me, Hey, if we can make this happen, um, you know, we'll work on this building. We'll ra raise money from friends and family. Do you want to do it? And I said, yeah, let's do it. And that was really the start of cadence it was in 2008. And we raised money from friends and family to acquire a nine unit building here in Seattle. And we spent our nights and weekends renovating the building, mm -hmm. uh, doing ma maintenance on the building, leasing the units. Uh, really, we, we wore every hat in the company at that time, um, and we still had our day job. So it was, it was a lot of effort and not a lot of free time. Uh, I would say I didn't have weekends for most of my 20s. Um, and then that deal, that, that property performed really well. And so we ended up acquiring a second property close by and did the same thing. And, and then we, we kind of looked at it and said, if we want to make this a full-time job, let's quit our day jobs and, and do this. So we quit our, quit our day jobs and um, had more time to run the properties. But then shortly after that, realized if we're going to scale, we need to start hiring people. And got our first two employees to help out on the construction side. That was probably 2010. Um, and then have just been growing ever since. And and um, have done a lot of a lot of projects and the company's scaled tremendously and um, we've, we've trimmed it back at certain times, but yeah, that's kind of the trajectory. Yeah. Really interesting. 2008, 2009 is quite a time to start a business as a young guy. Yeah. Uh, we heard a lot of reasons why not to start the company. Totally. It's such an interesting bit. So I was, so I was running a painting company in 2007, 2008, and um, there's such a, a great, element to the the ignorance the young bliss of this of like then heading into 2009 i was like why is everybody freaking out it's not that big of a deal and i mean i certainly bumped up against challenges but like i grew the company from 2008 to 2009 and as i look back at it a lot of it was on this like blissful ignorance of like the world still seems fine like this can't be that big of a deal and you just kind of keep going and 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 get it done so anyway it's, it's interesting yeah. it's, it's quite the time to start so um tell us a bit about like now so let's fast forward now um you know 12 14 years here what does cadence look like now um you've got kind of four aspects to the business tell us a bit about how they're they're organized and what you do at this mm -hmm. point yeah we have we have four distinct operating companies so 
the real estate acquisition company, and then we have a property management company, we have a maintenance company, and a construction company. And then the, the fifth, I would say, is, is the accounting finance side that um, is intertwined with all four of those. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. And so give us a quick lay of the land of, of each one of them. So the, the real estate acquisition one is the one that feeds essentially the rest of the machine now, right? Yeah, exactly. So the real estate acquisition company will go and find a property for us to buy, raise money for it, and really develop the business plan for that property. And then the other three operating companies will will have a play in that business plan. So typically the construction company will put together a budget and help with the scope of work um, and what we, what we call stabilize the properties. So they'll go and renovate the units, do any common area improvements, add units potentially. And then the property management company will, will come in and uh, lease up the units, uh, interact with the residents and the maintenance company then deals with typical property maintenance. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Um, are these, are these businesses like, like, tr- like when you say that four distinct operating companies, are they truly distinct? Like they each have their own organizational chart. They've each got their own like, like sort of goals and budget for the year. Do they each have their own like leaders that kind of drive them or, or does like, does everyone kind of overlap and they all work within these four? Are they, are they truly, have you truly created lanes for, uh, for these, these sort of sub organizations to operate within? Yeah. Yeah. And I would say now we have, and that was definitely a learning lesson in the history was the need to have a structure like that. So each company has a distinct leader or manager of that company, their own set of books, um, you know, their, their own, training and onboarding plans, their own strategic plans and GSRs. So yes, we try to keep them as as distinct companies that are separate, but they're also fully intertwined. Yeah. So, you know, for, for each company, uh, they will work for Cadence, but they also work for other owners. Like the, so construction, the construction company, company for instance, yeah. Yeah, property management for other property owners and similarly maintenance. Now that wasn't always the case though. Like was there a time a number of years ago where it was, the lines were kind of blurry and it was a bit more of a messy, if that's the right word. Yeah. I mean, really the evolution from when it started was, uh, it just started with my business partner and I, and we did literally everything. And then as we hired, um, the, the, if you call it cadence 1.0, the first iteration was everybody wore every hat, you know, you'd have a guy who's doing maintenance would also lease the units and maybe do light bookkeeping as well. So, mm-hmm. and, and from there it evolved into the, these four distinct organizations. This might seem like kind of an obvious question, but, but for our listeners, um, like why, why was that lack of structure such a problem? What were the symptoms like for you as an owner? Did it create more stress? Was there a duplication of tasks? Were there dropped balls? Like, I, I think on some level people know it's 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 you know good to define roles for people, but in your instance, like tell us a little bit more about the journey from like sort of chaos to 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 true structure the the way Cadence operates now. Yeah, I mean you really you summed it up pretty well there. It's it's there was so much of either drop balls or people missing things to overlap with somebody who's doing something else, and it was a, a total lack of clear direction and really accountability at the end of the day. And uh, seeing those issues really drove us to, to separate and then further define people's roles. So we knew what success looked like within each role. Cause you know, it's not, it's not realistic to, uh, you know, operate 
at our level with just my business partner and I doing everything ourselves. We need a really solid team in place. We need a diversity of backgrounds and skill sets um, who drive the company in a better direction. And and I think that's that's what this structure has allowed us to do. Yeah, mm -hmm. interesting. I just want to ask a really quick question here before we move on about the construction company. So you started off as 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 a carpenter, like you were, you were a construction guy from the beginning. Um, that construction element um, stayed through the beginning, I'm assuming, to make money. What were you guys, tell me a bit about the evolution of that. Like you guys were building, even building single family houses at the beginning for a while, right? How did that whole thing evolve? Yeah, in the, in the beginning we were, we were performing our own work and then we saw opportunity to Really, at that time, we would take any job that somebody would throw at us. It was like Renos, new builds, everything. Renos, yeah, and no, no sense of is this job even profitable. It mm -hmm. was just we have revenue coming in, and quickly learned that that's not a recipe for success. And then over over time, you know, just sticking within our what I would call our strike zone on the construction side of we do multifamily renovations and we do it really well. So we're not taking on any more. Uh, bath remodels or or additions to homes. Um, we're just we're not structured to be successful in those areas. We could do them, um, but really staying focused on our our core business has has been very very helpful for us. As an entrepreneur, I think you're wired to see opportunity everywhere. Was that difficult to let go of doing those jobs? Like people, I'm sure wanted you to do them, and you probably could make money doing them. Was you know I, I it might have been a long time ago, but like, do you remember that being a um, a, you know, a difficult thing to say no to those opportunities. Oh yeah. Huge. It's, it's really changing how you think and, and look at things. And I would say the, the only way I learned that was through horrible experiences and it, keeping some level of PTSD of I'm not doing that again. It's, it just, uh, it drags the whole company down if you're stuck on jobs that you shouldn't be on. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and just uh, a question there. How did you actually figure out like what you, you call it like a strike zone? Like right now you guys are really good at, 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 at remodeling and adding value to multifamily like buildings, essentially. Um, how did you find out like that this is your guys niche? This is where you're the most profitable. This is where you add the most value. Where did that, that whole thing come from where you were so clear on that, that you, even when your good buddies come to you and say, Hey, Barrett, like, can Cadence build my house where you're like, no, like we, we are so focused on what we do and that's it. Where did that come from? Yeah, I think it, I think it's through close to thousands of reps of doing these units and some of the growing pains we experienced on our own projects because we're we're typically the customer for our construction company as well um so we can we can see it from both sides of that and then just uh further further refining even within the multifamily industry what we're good at and what we want to focus on which is the value add unit renovations and building renovations mm -hmm. um but yeah you still you know you see a shiny toy and, and think like oh yeah i'll go do that but no, it doesn't. It doesn't work. It can work, but for us, we've decided not to. Um, is is the model for you guys to to like purchase these these um, these buildings that that need some form of rehabilitation or update or remodel, and then and then hold them as rental units, or are you sort of like you doing the reno, adding a bunch of value, turning around and selling it to another real estate investor? Like, what what's kind of the the overarching wealth building strategy here for Cadence? Yeah, I mean, it really it depends on the property that we're acquiring, but typically it's a three to seven year hold. So we'll come in and take a, a, a property that hasn't been touched or um, updated in, in years or decades even and bring it up to a, a current market level condition. 
um, which then in increases the rents. Um, and then if, if, you know, this deal, one deal might make sense to sell right then, or right. we'll refinance it and put new debt on it. Sure. Uh, you know, some deals we've, we've kept for 10 years. Um, a number of them we've gotten rid of within 18 months. Cool. Mm -hmm. Cool. This is a good example right now. Actually, I don't know if, if you heard this earlier when I was chatting with Bear, but so Barrett lives in Hawaii, mm -hmm. uh, but he's in Seattle now, as we can tell with the hotel room. Um, you said you you just looked at at a building over the last uh, in these last couple of days. Th that's a good example. Tell us a bit about that one. Like how many units? Um, what are you guys going to be doing there? It's just, it's it's a good kind of timely example. Yeah, yeah. We had it's a sixty unit property here in Seattle that we just put under contract and had our inspection on Wednesday. So on that inspection, we'll go through and, and start to narrow our business plan. Um, you know, taking it from like a ROM phase in the in the budgeting process to something that's you know it's getting closer to what it'll actually be. But then we'll sit down with all of our teams and say, all right, is, uh, you know, the real estate team, here's our idea for this. The construction company, can you support this? If so, how much does it cost? Are our rental assumptions correct um, from the property management team? Maintenance team, did you do you see any deferred maintenance? Is the is the plumbing system beyond its useful life? Is the roof about to go out? And then we'll start to we'll start to dial that in uh, from a cost standpoint and a scheduling standpoint, so that we can then go to our investors and say, here's our here's our solid business plan. Here are the potential returns that we expect. Uh, do you want to invest in this property? Mm -hmm. Yeah, okay. it's really cool. I, I think what's neat about your model, Barrett, is I hear like builders, remodelers construction businesses, broadly speaking, say this kind of in a tongue in cheek way, kind of in a serious way, but they're like, the worst part about my business are my customers. Like that's my least, my least <laughs> favorite part of the business are the clients. And now you become your own client or your organization has sort of become this, this sort yeah. of self-fulfilling entity. Um, and I'm sure it comes with its own, its own set of challenges. The grass is always greener, but, um, it's, it's very it's very interesting. You've gone about this from a very different approach. Most people would start doing work, you know, for homeowners or for businesses who, who need TIs done, whatever. Like you literally just started. First thing you ever did, it sounds like, as far as a, your own deal was was raising money from, from family and friends and, and rehabbing a property and you were off to the races. So yeah. it's... You're your own customer. Yeah. 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 And, and, and yeah, so, so you that, go, that's. Go stand in the mirror and yell at yourself. <laughs> that's what I was going to ask you. Is this like now like a self, a self hatred like relationship? No, we have, you have no one to blame. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's interesting. No one to blame. And, and so on one side of it, um, he is, is in, like they are their own customer. Um, and on the other side of it is the rest of the construction work is done for people who are real estate investors just like them. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's so niched and focused in, in that, which is super cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. Barrett, o over the last number of years, um, you, you've been working with Breakthrough Academy uh, more specific, like more directly with, with Coach Paul, who's, who's one of our more senior construction uh, coaches. Really, really, really bright guys. He's been on um, actually other podcast episodes. If you haven't listened to those, check those out. Um, I'm curious, just like, you know, with the with the systems that that he had to offer, we had to offer. Like, what were the biggest difference makers for you that um, either made business life easier, made scalability more attainable, made things more profitable? Like, what were some core systems that got implemented through your work with Paul and Breakthrough Academy? Yeah, I think the biggest thing is realizing I I didn't have systems. I thought I did before I joined and. Um, after taking really like a, a deep dive into my business and, and how we were operating, realizing that I, I had a lack of structure that existed currently. Um, and so that was pretty eye-opening right when I started BTA. 
of how much how much more I need to implement. But but from that, I think two of the biggest ones have been strategic planning. Um, really, you know, I do that for all four of the operating companies and and for the Cadence umbrella as a whole. You know, taking taking my five year goal or BHAG and then breaking it down into an annual goal and then breaking that down into quarterly. Um, and then, you know, on top of that is the GSRs. So in the GSRs with each of my operating company managers, we go over what's what's the trajectory of the company currently and do we are we aligned on that and do we need to tweak anything which ultimately ties back to our, our BHAGs or five-year plans. Yeah, mm-hmm. just to and, clarify. And Paul's so- been great with that. So GSNR stands for goal setting and review. So Barrett, what you're saying is basically you're starting really, really big picture, right? With like a BHAG, big, hairy, audacious goal. What it stands for is just kind of like a five-ish year, like big picture plan, right? And mm-hmm. then, and yeah. then from there, breaking down into when you say when you say strategic plan, you're typically talking like at an annual level. Is that right? Yeah, 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 exactly. And then from there, breaking down into quarterly, and then and then G- GSNRs are more kind of like the micro goal setting interview with each team or each individual, right? So let Let's break down the exactly. strategic planning thing a little because it's it's you know your situation be quite different than than probably a lot of listeners who just own their own like what sort of one single business. You've got to do this sort of times four. What does what does the strategic planning process look like on a on an annual and quarterly basis for these four sub entities? Are you delegating some of this goal setting to your to your leaders within? Are they are they sort of filling out a form or making a one page document? Just sort of explain concretely what that actually looks like within the walls of Cadence. Yeah. So typically we'll we'll sit down in early December near the end of the year and. Um, depending on which company it is and which manager I'm working with, they'll they'll do a first pass of what their goals are for the upcoming year while reviewing hits and missed goals of the current year, even prior years if needed. And then we'll we'll circle up again in two weeks and go over those and make sure we're in alignment on what they are, whether they're achievable or too lofty. If you know someone wants to take the one company in a different direction than I think is right, we'll we'll debate it at that time. Um, and then we'll just, we'll take from that list. What do you want to focus on the first quarter? What, what can we accomplish to get the year started off? Right. And then in our biweekly GSRs or weekly, uh, we'll go over, are we, are we tracking to them? Is that the correct goal for the organization at the moment or does it need to be changed? Um, and I think try to, you know, try to put some lofty goals on the list on the strategic plan and some some i'd call them layups like we know we can we know we can get this done let's get it checked off and i think before we before we really started this process it was just a lot of assumptions and constant working on on fire drills in the business without a focus on improvement and this has given us a formalized process for improving the company, improving operations, financials, whatever it might be, that we can have an open dialogue on biweekly. And who do you uh, like have, who do you individually have goal setting and review meetings with? Is it just the leaders of the four businesses underneath you? Do you meet with a layer beneath that underneath the, the org chart? Like who's, who's directly reporting to you? Yeah, so it's the four leaders of the business and then the accounting, the senior accounting team as well currently. And then my business partner and I have a, a standing weekly owner check-in that we do a, a GSR type uh, meeting. Yeah. Mm. I think what I'd like, I really hope listeners take from this, uh, 
because it's 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 simple but really profound is these two systems kind of work in harmony the strategic planning that that gets done as as igor mentioned a minute ago it's like it's the big picture more inspirational more lofty longer term targets um you know probably a, a five-year BHAG, an annual goal and then down to quarterly stuff the goal setting and review meeting or the gsr meeting that's what you use to manage like the week to week day to day like are you 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 said it like are we tracking to that like are we on pace to hit this or are we not and i think that that second step is where a lot like everyone kind of understands the concept of goal setting and like i'll you know write mm -hmm. some stuff on the whiteboard and hope that it happens and i think that that's better than nothing at all but it's the it's in the minutiae like the week-to-week -week work and the tracking to those bigger goals that a lot of people miss and i think that's something that you by the way you describe it, you've done exceptionally well. One thing that you mentioned a second ago that um, made a big difference for you was like getting those four leaders in place, making these really distinct operating companies. How have these two systems helped you put those leaders in place and how have they allowed, how have they facilitated for the structure between the four? Well, I think that just having a, a distinct leader of the company is key because they're they're accountable to the results and the performance um but i think you know like you said with you can have a big goal and you just put it on a whiteboard uh but there might be a thousand steps to achieve that goal and yeah. it, it can get confusing if you don't have a clear place to track that and that's where having a singular leader of, of the organization accountable to those steps whether it's all right i want to do 10 million dollars in revenue or i want to get an onboarding uh, checklist in the company. There's a lot of steps involved in having that person to be accountable to those steps and uh, produce results. Is it makes it crucial. Um, but yeah, you, you know, on the on the leadership team, there's been promotions from within into those roles and yeah. uh, hiring outside talent. So it just depended on who's who was in the company to begin with. Mm -hmm. um, Sorry, can I just ask a quick totally. question? You talk a bit about your business partner. How, um, you know, th this is a very common thing that we see come up, which there isn't even a clear distinction between what two different business partners do, not to mention, you know, a whole other set of leaders within the organization. Right. How have you guys done that? How have you delineated your two roles? Like, what do you do? Um, what does your business partner do? What is your guy's structure like? Yeah, and it's, it's evolved over the years for sure. But I think uh, we both, we come from two different backgrounds and have two di very different skill sets. Um, so it's, that in itself has has clarified it a lot. Uh, but in the in the past, we we did everything all the time. Uh, he's he's fantastic with real estate. I obviously have a construction background, um, but we'll we'll work with each other on uh, call them areas of weakness or opportunities for growth that we'll we'll tackle together. Mm -hmm. But I think having and that we, having that formal check in between partners is is very helpful as well. One of the things you mentioned earlier is like the four leaders of the different organizations report to you. Um, are they reporting to him in some different capacity as well, or are you there? Are, are you their their direct leader? I'm their direct leader when it comes to strategic uh, planning and GSRs. He will sit in on them, but I'm the one that that owns that process. Gotcha. Um, and then he'll, you know, from his skill set, he'll he'll weigh in, obviously spend more time on the acquisitions and finance side of the company and property management, whereas I'll, I'll focus more on construction and maintenance. Yeah. yeah. Barrett, one thing I'm, I'm curious about is the 
effect that implementing these two systems and i'm sure like a whole host of other ones too that's this isn't the end all be all but it's sort of what we have time to discuss today so just like like reflecting on that um the implementation of strategic planning goal setting and review meetings defining roles for staff making these these companies distinct how have how have that how has that made your your business life and your personal life more enjoyable or less stressful yeah, I think a big a big component of it is being proactive and getting ahead of problems before they become major issues. Just having visibility into the trajectory of a company has has made my I would call work life balance dramatically less stressful. Um, it's just it's more predictable from a financial standpoint and an operational standpoint when you're constantly bringing up issues and and uh, trying to solve them or put put in contingency plans uh, prior to them happening. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I love that. And I, I, I think um, I think it's something you do exception. Well, Igor and I were talking about like with like, I'm sure it wasn't always this way, Barrett, but you've always struck me as someone that's like pretty down to earth, pretty zen, pretty calm, you know, probably not chill. That's not the right word, but you don't you you don't come off as someone that's like highly stressed, highly, you know, um, high strung or, or, or sort of like super intense. You're like, it's like, oh, it's Barry. It's like pretty relaxed guy. Oh, yeah. I just stuff all my emotions down into my into the pit in my belly. <laughs> that's that's the trick. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, yeah. no, but joking aside, like Barrett, Barrett and I, you know, you, we've hung out in um, at Breakthrough Academy events, uh, winter summit, summer retreats, like all over North America at a ton of different cool locations. And it's and it is always I find it fascinating, like how big of an organization and how large, how complex of an, or of an organization you run and how you are pretty calm, cool and collected. Um, every time we are at these events, and I think you know, there's no way that that would be able to be the case if you didn't have great people around you. Um, one yeah. huge move. I was blown away when you told me this. Um, you know, you grew up in Seattle, started the went to school, started the business in Seattle, and then moved your family to Hawaii, like in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. Um, Tell me a bit about like that whole dynamic. Like, how are you able to run the business from there? What are what is your kind of work week and rhythm look like? Um, living in Hawaii, having mm -hmm. your family there, mm -hmm. but running such a complex uh, organization in Washington. Yeah, well, it, it started. We made the move during COVID, um, and I think seeing this shift to remote work and, and Zoom calls that everybody learned to deal with at the start of COVID. I uh, put that idea in my head that it was a possibility to mm -hmm. potentially do my role remotely. Um, so I was going to try it out for six months and have just stayed since. But yeah, I think uh, I think the remote work is part of it. But I come back to Seattle every month or every six weeks, roughly for a week for in-person meetings. Um, I think having the biggest thing is having a clear leader of each organization has made that a reality. I, it wouldn't be possible without that. I was, uh, you know, years prior too involved in the day to day of the operations of my company. So having somebody that's accountable to those now uh, has, has made that move a reality. Um, but I do spend a lot of time on Zoom. I, you know, typically have to wake up at between 4.30 and 5.30 a.m. with a time difference um, and then come back here and if we have a deal under contract, I will need to, I still want to put eyes on it myself. So I'll come and inspect right. the deal. Um, so yeah, I turned, uh, turned into a little bit of a road warrior. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> I want to, um, 
uh, I want to ask you a question that's a little, a little less like um, technical and about your business and a little bit more about some of your insight or, or, or learnings over the years. Um, you know, Cadence is at a place where it's, it's really healthy, it's really stable, it's really profitable. Um, you know, for sure it wasn't always that way. So, you know, over the decade or so where you've had ups and downs, are there some lessons that you would share? Are there things that you know now about leadership, about business, about the entrepreneurial journey? Are there things that you know now that you wish you knew then? Oh yeah, probably a million things that I know now or I'm still actively working on that, um, you know, I think something as simple as clear communication, that's something I'm still working on. And when you're, when you're hiring somebody um, or starting some new endeavors, just making sure you're clearly communicating your assumptions um, in real time. And that, you know, that goes to working, working with uh, coworkers of either communicating praise or critical feedback when it's needed. That was something that we lacked early in the, early in the cadence process that got us into, into trouble. Um, but I think the biggest thing is just is which for anybody who's an entrepreneur already is is uh, being a risk taker to some degree. You can't know everything and you can't have every contingency plan solved for. So you just got to take risks sometimes. And I did that when I was 24 years old. And, you know, that wouldn't necessarily be possible today for me. But um, it was scary. It was really scary. But it was also exciting and rewarding. Um, so I think. Keeping that keeping that mindset going uh, into what is you know almost a fifteen year old business now is important. Would you say the critical feedback thing is something you were missing early on with Cadence? What what do you mean by that? Like you weren't setting expectations, you weren't holding people accountable. Like what uh, when it came to team building, what what was the miss there and the results that followed? Yeah, I think I think especially with uh, bringing new people on, there was an issue of you know if somebody wasn't. Um, performing how they should have been, not delivering that critical feedback early in the process, and then allowing almost this culture to be created around, um, you know, a lack of performance. And that spreads to where other people who've been there, like, wait, this person's getting away with what? Why can't I do that also? Like, not turning my time card, something as simple as that. So that's where, you know, early, early on, we, we weren't communicating effectively or delivering critical feedback. And that's something I'm still working on. But on the flip side of the coin is is the praise as well. I want to make sure that we're we're praising people who are going above and beyond. Yeah. yeah the, the interesting thing about both sides of that coin is like, it's very hard to do either of those two things if expectations aren't clear. And the only way that you get expectations really clear is by knowing what the overarching strategy, the direction, and the plan is. Right. It's very hard to hold someone accountable to a plan that either doesn't exist or that's super loose. And it's also hard to give someone praise against like, like how, like how do you know that they are excelling and, right. that, and, and that they are performing? So coming back to what Bear was talking about earlier, the strategic planning process, goal setting, holding accountability towards goals, that's really even the baseline of being able to effectively give praise and, 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 and give credit where that credit is due and also hold hard accountability when it's, when it's needed, right? Um, yeah. Bear, just before we move on to kind of one kind of closing question that I want to ask you before we wrap up, um, coming back to these kind of key lessons, um, the management of, of capital and investment is obviously like a huge part of the game. You've gone from being, you know, a guy running a construction company to also being a pretty serious investor while running a construction business. What's been your attitude um, towards um, like cash management through different cycles? Um, how do you look at that whole like um, 
like capital management game uh, as an investor? Yeah, I think with with Cadence specifically, it's it's um, there's huge swings in revenues um, or cash positions, and so getting getting a solid cash reserve or line of credit, whatever it might be, available just to provide security is mm-hmm. is huge. And so consistent operating results from my operating companies to generate that uh, predictable uh, profit that we can then use to go invest in these real estate deals. It just uh, It'll, it reduces a lot of the potential stress um, in our business. So just, you know, this old phrase, cash is king and, and keeping it uh, on hand is key. So making sure you're getting paid on the construction uh, contracts on time and early is very helpful because you don't want to be uh, a bank with 0% interest uh, loans to your customers. Yeah, 110%, 100%. Awesome. Um, I want to close out with, with one kind of big and, and important question. You know, we're, we're at an interesting time cyclically and economically right now. Um, things are, are beginning to change. I would imagine that they will continue to. Um, you started a business in, in 2009, uh, which is, which is you know, a fascinating time to, to start something like what you created. Um, what advice do you have for younger entrepreneurs that are either starting out or have started out and are running, you know, a trades or construction company doing, let's just say a couple million bucks a year. Um, they've not, not grown a ton, but we're, we're heading into a bit of an interesting time. What, what would be your advice for, for kind of a younger Barrett or, or younger entrepreneurs in, in, in this day? Yeah, I think this, um, uh, 2022 or early 2020 through 2022 is, reminiscent of 2008 and remember the swine flu was happening back then and mm-hmm. got COVID happening. So I think with, with those times, there's when there's call it chaos in the market, there's a lot of opportunity out there. And, you know, if that's multifamily real estate or single family real estate, I think for anybody who's in the trades, there's an opportunity for them to leverage that skill set to, to invest and create value. Um, but like I, I was, I was mentioning earlier, I think the, it's scary, you know. It's it's outside the the comfort zone typically to go invest in something like this, and it can be very daunting. And not to say it's easy, but the hardest part is is just taking that step, just trying it. So um, I think there will be a lot of opportunities here over over the next few years, and if people are already in the trades, they can certainly do it. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I, I want to just highlight one thing here uh, as we wrap up. You know, Benji, the other day we were we were talking to um, to another guest as well in, in this context of um, uh, with Jason Paris on, on painting companies, right, and where they're investing and buying in, into other painting businesses in a minority stake. Um, big picture, really, like what what we're doing as entrepreneurs is is we have a business that that makes money, right? So in, in Jason's case, it was a painting company in Barrett's construction business. And you got to do something with that capital, right? Um, so from an investment perspective to what Barrett's saying and what, what Jason was saying in the context of painting businesses, it does make a lot of sense to stick within your own sandbox, mm-hmm. right? For me to start now going investing in, in, in tech companies, for instance, or restaurants, um, myself, you, Barrett, we would know very little about how to vet that properly, how to run it properly. But to, to take the capital that you have and, and to invest into, into your own sandbox and in your domain um, is, is definitely a, a, a very powerful concept. And I think that's kind of what, what Bear is trying to get at here, right? Yeah, exactly. And I think with, with I'll give you guys a plug here, with the systems BTA provides and implements, there's, there's opportunities similar to what you're describing of buying another business. You know, there's a lot of people who are retiring and might have a solid, a solid company in place and they're looking for an exit plan. 
Um, and so people can can take the tools from BTA and, and provide more structure to some companies and create serious value out of that. Mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, it's the, the, I think the underlying question that we're really getting at is, is how do you take the skill set that you have as an entrepreneur and, and how, where, the, where can you really add the most amount of value, whether that's into a business that's perhaps less developed if you're able to systemize, or like in your case, this building that you're looking at early, earlier this week, mm-hmm. like how do you look at an asset and knowing construction or contracting how can you add value to that one so um yeah no it's uh it's 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 a, it's a super cool concept benji is there anything else you want to close with i would say barrett um let our listeners know where they could find out a little bit more about you or cadence if somebody wanted to check out your site or i don't know if you're mm-hmm. on social media but um you've got some cool stuff going on if people want to find out more about you where do they do that yeah cadence uh, it's cadencere.com is is the main website, um, and there's there's links to Cadence Builds, and then uh, Peak Living Property Services is my property management company, and Peak Living Maintenance. So there should be there should be links on on all the websites that um, show all four of those, but I don't I don't really have a social media presence besides that. <laughs> Awesome. He's too busy surfing in Hawaii. I love it. Uh, Barrett, so cool, man. Thank you so much for, for, for joining us on the show today. It's, it's really neat to hear about like the number one, the dynamic lifestyle you've created and, and this whole move to Hawaii and, and, and just broadly speaking, like how you've taken, um, you know, uh, a construction background and turned it into, into such a robust investment strategy. It's definitely really inspiring. And you're a young dude or, and you're just getting rolling as well. So looking forward to seeing where it all goes. Thanks for being yeah. here, man. Yeah, thank you guys. Appreciate it. Hey guys, Benji here with one really important closing note. If you want professional help implementing systems into your business, don't forget to check out Breakthrough Academy. To book a business assessment with us, click the link in the description of this episode. uh, And I'm really looking forward to seeing you the next time on Contractor Evolution. PaintEd podcasts are produced by the Painting Contractors Association and is made possible by members and industry partners. To find out more about upcoming education opportunities or for more information about joining PCA, visit PCAPaintEd.org.